1: Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 21. I'm your host, Paul Reichoff, and coming up, I've got an exclusive interview with Chris Cuomo. But first, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention.
2: What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some man you just can't reach, so you can get what we had here last week. Which is the way he wants.
1: Well, he gets. John McCain died a year ago next week. A year ago, flags all across America were at half staff, honoring one of the most notable and respected patriots of our time. A man who cared deeply about his country and his family. A man who cared deeply about the future of our country. And in the year since he died, things in America. And especially around our politics, have gotten worse. Much worse. America misses John McCain. Now, more than ever. And maybe most of all, because of how he owned the tone. John McCain was a man of honor, respect, authenticity, and tenacity. He wasn't perfect. And he'd probably be among the first to admit it. But he was genuine. A true American original. The best kind of angry American. Someone who endured unimaginable pain, loss, and hardship. But he turned it into positive impact and an incredible legacy. The first presidential event I ever went to in my life was for John McCain. It was in the 2000 election for president. He'd go on to lose the nomination to George Bush. But as a young guy, one who cared about my country and one who didn't care that much about party, John McCain spoke to me. And when I had an opportunity to stand on the steps of Federal Hall in New York, just up the street from where I worked, I went. In 1789, Federal Hall became the Capitol building of the newly formed United States. And it was on that same spot where George Washington was sworn in as the first ever president of the United States. John McCain was doing an event in that spot. And John McCain's message spoke to me, his story spoke to me, because I'd read his book, Faith of My Fathers, which was a bestseller at the time. Years later, I'd have the honor of meeting John McCain, and the even greater honor of battling him a bit politically. We disagreed over how the new GI Bill should be constructed. I and others were supporting Virginia Senator Jim Webb's version. Senator McCain had his own. We had some sticking points around the transferability provisions but we disagreed without being disagreeable. And we worked it out. We all had the best interests of our veterans and our country in mind. And after some transferability provisions for continued military service were added, Senator McCain supported the bill. And we got it done, a bill that's now sent over a million veterans to college. Together, everyone worked it out. Republicans and Democrats came together. Democrat Jim Webb, Republican John McCain. And in the years to come, John McCain and I would agree on many things for veterans in the military, and disagree on a few. But every interaction we ever had was from a place of shared respect. He was a globally respected U.S. senator and war hero, and I was just some young activist. But he treated me with respect, in public and in private, always. And he loved to mix it up. You've probably heard the stories. But just like the fighter pilot he once was, he liked to mix it up. And he always did it the right way. He knew how to own the tone. And he taught me and countless others to do the same.
3: You know, there's no blame here. There are actions and there are reactions to the actions. And a lot of this is there's been no accountability. We have the right to expect more from our leaders. And using language and, you know, encouraging violence in any form from anybody is wrong is dangerous.
1: That's Cindy McCain on NPR. And she's right. John McCain was a man who owned the tone. He set the example. He thought about what he said. He understood the power of his words and the power of his example and the power of how he interacted with and spoke to and about people, just like George Washington did. John McCain knew that real leaders often have to speak hard truths often in critical times, and often when it's not easy. We should always remember the profound moment in the 2008 campaign when a woman said she couldn't trust Barack Obama because, quote, he's an Arab.
3: I can't trust Obama. I, got I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, ma'am.
2: No, ma'am. no? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen
1: that I just happen to have disagreements with. He's a decent family man, a citizen I just happen to have disagreements with. That's what McCain said. That's a moment that will forever define John McCain. McCain was a true patriot, a true citizen soldier, in the spirit of what then-General George Washington described. Washington, the general who refused to be king, who would go on to be president, said, When we assume the soldier, we did not lay aside the citizen. That spirit of citizenship, that understanding of tone, was a lasting legacy of George Washington, one that was carried forward by John McCain, and one that is now being obliterated by Donald Trump completely. When it comes to tone, Donald Trump is like an atomic bomb of negativity and disruption but much less precise, but equally, if not more, damaging. But what is tone? In politics, and in music, it matters. But what is it?
3: Traditionally in Western music, a musical tone is a steady periodic sound. A musical tone is characterized by its duration, pitch, intensity, or loudness, and timbre, or quality. The common denominator frequency which is also often the lowest of these frequencies is the fundamental frequency and is also the inverse of the period of the
1: waveform. And that waveform, the tone, can roll across a radio, across a rally, across a country. And that tone can soothe. It can inspire good or it can motivate bad. And as it rolls out, It can completely disrupt blowing out your speakers, shattering your eardrums, cracking the windows of your house, and busting every piece of glass in the entire neighborhood. That's the tone of Trump. That's what the tone of Trump has done to America, and what it's doing more and more by the day. And that negative tone sounds like this.
2: And I think any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat— Uh, I think it shows either a total lack
1: of knowledge or great
2: disloyalty.
1: Disloyalty. He actually said that sitting with a Navy flag behind him. This is dangerous and threatening on a level we've never seen in our lifetime. And it sounds like this. That guy's got a serious weight problem. Go home, start
2: exercising.
1: It's a tone that spans into every day and into saying something like he's going to buy Greenland or that he's the king of Israel or that he's the chosen one.
2: Over the last five or six years, China's made five hundred billion dollars, five hundred billion, ripped it out of the United States. And not only that, if you take a look, intellectual property theft, add that to it. And they had a lot of other things to it so somebody excuse me somebody had to do it i am the chosen one somebody had to do it so i'm taking on china i'm taking on china on trade and you know what we're winning
1: and it's not just the tone of the spoken word it's the same with the written word in his tweets a daily barrage of nonsense madness and fury that are like every American waking up every morning to a news cycle with the tone of fingers on a chalkboard. That's the tone he sets, and it's not new.
2: He's a war Five hero. And a half years he's a, a war, war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Do you, you agree with that? He's a war hero because he was captured, okay? You can have, and I believe perhaps he's a war hero, but, but right now he said some very bad things about a lot of people.
1: It's not an incident. It's a pattern. It's a strategy, or maybe a total lack of a strategy. But it's definitely undisciplined leadership, and it's surely bad leadership, and it's undoubtedly bad character. He set and confirmed a toxic tone over and over, from the election campaign and attacking enemies like Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham the cowards who now kiss his ass and cower at his feet or attacks on Kazir Khan, the gold star family of a United States Army captain who was killed in action, he attacks Muslims, he attacks immigrants, he attacks NATO and now he attacks Jews. And of course, he attacked John McCain. And on the anniversary of John McCain's death this month. It's hard to imagine that Trump can control himself enough not to do it again. When he gets angry, he lashes out, he attacks, he destroys. And it's not just nasty language and distasteful language, it's undisciplined language that also creates damage. And it keeps getting worse, expanding into new areas. It's like a shockwave of disruption and stupidity rolling across the landscape, blowing out the windows of a new neighborhood every single week. We're
2: doing a lot having to do with veteran suicide, uh, we have uh, a task force that's set up. There's a product that's made right now that just came out by Johnson and Johnson, which has a tremendously positive, pretty short-term, but nevertheless a positive effect. I've instructed the head of the VA to go out and buy a lot of it, and we are buying a lot of it. Hopefully, we're getting it at a very good
1: cost. Yep, that's the latest one. Now he's pushing unproven. Corporate-sponsored magic pills for veteran suicide. Look, in case you don't know, there is no magic pill for suicide. There's no easy fix for suicide any more than there's an easy fix for the crisis on the border. His magic veteran suicide pill idea is like the new wall, and Johnson & Johnson's about as likely to create it and give it away for free as Greenland is to build the wall. And all this talk is politically opportunistic, and dangerous. We need real solutions. And beyond the tone, there's the issue of focus. When he continues to attack and drop bombs and disrupt and break windows and throw punches like Farkas from A Christmas Story, or blow things up for fun like Sid in the Toy Story movies, I talked about that last week. When he does that, important things don't get focused. Important things don't get fixed. Like the fact that the drinking water in Newark now has lead in it. If you haven't heard, there's a major crisis in another American city in the wake of just another one a few years ago. First, it was Flint, Michigan. Now it's Newark, New Jersey. Tens of thousands of residents have been told to drink only bottled water. It's the culmination of years of neglect that have now pushed New Jersey's largest city to the forefront of an environmental problem afflicting urban areas all across the nation. Newark is a city of 285,000 people, and they don't have safe drinking water. But there's not a focus on that. There's no tweets about that or a number of other issues that have me angry and have many people angry and should have everyone angry. Because if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And there are a number of urgent issues for which attention must be paid right now. Like the fact that this week, a former VA medical officer was charged in the deaths of three patients. You may not have seen that. While the president this week was at an event for veterans that wasn't supposed to be political, that of course turned political, where he said the VA is awesome. Trump said he isn't hearing anything bad about VA care anymore, but he's sure the media will go out and find problems. And the predictable fake news line that got a smattering of laughs and applause. But here's the real deal. Federal prosecutors from Arkansas charged a former Veterans Affairs pathologist with three counts of involuntary manslaughter in the deaths of former patients whose medical reports he mishandled due to his own substance abuse problems. There's a criminal case against Robert Morris Levy, that now includes a number of charges of fraud and lying to investigators. Now, this arrest comes after a year-long investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office and help from the VA Inspector General's Office. According to federal prosecutors, Levy has been under investigation for drinking alcohol while on duty as far back as 2015. And prosecutors allege that Levy cheated drug tests and falsified records to cover his own relapses. As a result, he continued reviewing sensitive patient information while intoxicated, potentially issuing incorrect or dangerous diagnoses for thousands of veterans. And in at least three cases, investigators believe that directly resulted in patients' deaths. On two of those occasions, Levy doctored medical records to make it appear that other pathologists agreed with his mistaken work. So earlier this year, Officials from the Fayetteville VA hospital said that as many as 12 patient deaths may be connected to Levy's crimes. KFSM reported that nearly 34,000 medical cases that Levy handled during his tenure have been reviewed for mistakes after his firing, with nearly 10% showing errors. 10% of our veterans have errors because this guy was drunk on his job. So that's happening. But yeah. Let's go try to buy Greenland and tweet about Anthony Scarmucci some more or about how big your crowd size is. Because also, meanwhile, gun violence continues all across America. Four students were shot at Clark Atlanta University. Now, there are mass shootings all the time, but there are smaller shootings even more frequently. And most, like this one, hardly register on our media Richter scale, especially when they happen in black and brown communities. This location was on the steps of a library used by Clark Atlanta University, Spellman, and Morehouse students. Police identified the victims. They're all young. Aaron Ennis, 18, Maya williams McLaren 18, Elise Spencer, 18, and Kia Thomas, 19. Our young people are dying in the streets daily. And instead of focusing on gun control and murderers, he's out there tweeting at the Clintons and accusing them of murder. And all the while, our 9-11 first responders although they got a victory recently in Washington, are still dying. Remember the hashtag from Rob Serra, my friends are dying. We lost another FDNY firefighter brother to 9-11 illness this week. Bobby Fitzgibbon of Engine Company 47. Bobby was 61 years old. Out of high school, Bobby joined the Carpenters Union, where he was first an apprentice and then later became a master carpenter. He really enjoyed working with detailed moldings and fine-finished carpentry. That's what Bobby loved. He liked yoga and hiking and spending time with his family, doing those things. He was an avid cook and thoroughly enjoyed cooking dinner for his firehouse brothers, his life partner, Yvonne, and all their friends. He was a huge Giants and Mets fan, and he always smiled when talking about the 1986 Mets World Series win. Never forget, that's the line from 9-11, right? But as the tone of chaos continues to assault our ears, like a broken set of bootleg Chinese knockoff beats by Dre, more Americans are dying in more and different ways. And you won't hear about it in the flurry of noise from the White House or from most of the media that follows Trump's Twitter account like lemmings off a cliff daily. And just like you won't hear the cries of dying 9-11 first responders— you won't hear the calls from veterans dying from burn pit exposure. Burn pits have put millions of veterans at risk. Over 1.5 million American troops were deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan between 2001 and current date. Many have returned with visible scars of war, but for some, the injuries are hidden. And at military bases throughout the region, waste materials were disposed of in what were called burn pits. I was around them. Many veterans were around them, breathing in the fumes from these fires appear to have damaged the health of countless veterans. I've talked about it on this show, but CBS did a solid report on it this week. It's the Agent Orange of our generation, an incredibly important issue, but one you won't hear about at the next Trump rally or from Diamond and Silk. You can't hear the cries of our veterans over the nonstop flood of tweeted conspiracy theories from the president. And you can't even hear the guns of war. Yes, America, we're still at war. A suicide bomber this week killed at least 63 people at a wedding in Kabul. Funerals for the victims were held the following day. It was a terrible scene. And then just yesterday in Afghanistan, two U.S. Special Forces soldiers were killed. And in accordance with the Department of Defense policy, the names of the service members killed in action are being withheld until the next of kin have been notified. These latest casualties came a day after the U.S. Special Envoy to Afghanistan announced he'd be going back to Doha to resume peace talks with the Taliban, aimed at ending the longest war in U.S. history, 18 years and counting. I've used the hashtag Forgotistan, but the diplomat raised hopes that a deal may have been reached in the last couple rounds of talks with the militant group and said Tuesday he'd be going back to Doha to try and close the remaining issues. And on Friday, Trump convened a meeting of top national security figures that he later described as, quote, very good. He suggested that both sides of the conflict were, quote, looking to make a deal if possible. That's good news. But the noise of his own tone even overwhelms the good news that's occasionally happening out of this administration. But staying on important shit relating to war and death that you probably won't hear about because Trump's trying to buy Greenland, Gold Star families got hit with a surprise tax hike this week, and they're still waiting for help. Check this out. It's nearly eight months until federal income taxes are due, and Gold Star wife Jessica Braden Rogers is already worried about filing her tax returns. This is what she said. If we don't see something happen, we're screwed. Next year, my son is supposed to be getting braces, but we could still owe thousands in extra taxes next year unless something is fixed. Jessica is one of a vocal group of military widows who lobbied Congress last spring for the so-called kiddie tax, which applies to certain minors with unearned income. Her husband, Army Captain Michael Braden, died while deployed to Afghanistan in 2012. Under the tax code overhaul signed into law in 2017, that money is now taxed at a rate as high as 37 percent, 37 percent which led to surprise tax hikes for a host of Gold Star families. Gold Star families are folks who've lost a loved one, killed in action. That's what a Gold Star family is. So since Jessica's nine-year-old son, James, receives his father's death benefits, the taxes on that income jumped from about $1,100 a year to nearly $4,500 this spring. It went up four times. That should make you angry. That should make all Americans angry. So Jessica said other families she's spoken to have seen their bills triple or quadruple to more than $10,000. That's money our families need for rent and groceries, Jessica said. I have no clue where we go from here, she said. It's almost do-or-die time for our families. It's impossible to make long-term financial plans without knowing how much money we may owe next year. So that's what's happening to our Gold Star families. Our president should stop trying to figure out how to buy Greenland. And figure out how to buy braces for the kid of a guy killed in action in Afghanistan. And the issue here is the same old shit. Political fights between the House Democrats and the Republicans in the Senate. So the House lawmakers overwhelmingly passed a fix as a part of a series of changes to the 2017 tax code overhaul. And the Senate members overwhelmingly passed a standalone measure just dealing with the Gold Star Families issue. And the key Republican senators have blocked consideration of the House measure. So here we are again. Jessica said she's requested meetings with the Senate leadership to advance this process and help broker a deal. But she's been rebuffed. Jessica is not getting a meeting. Maybe we need to hook Jessica up with Rob Sarah and the 9-11 first responders and fix that problem. She said this shouldn't be a political issue. These are kids whose parents died in the military, and now they're suffering again. You can find more excellent reporting on this, as always, from the great Leo Shane over at Military Times. Leo Shane covering the difficulties of the kids of our fallen. A guy who the president, like the rest of the media, calls the enemy of the state. So advocates have been pleading to keep the widow's tax repeal inside the measure. And House and Senate negotiators have to decide whether to dump the provision from the annual National Defense Authorization Act debate or find billions to pay for a fix. But they can't do that. Just like they can't do gun reform. Because Congress is not in session this month. They're out attacking each other instead of attacking America's problems like this. Or mass shootings. And yep, still no progress on that. Now it seems Trump is no longer going to push for background checks. Apparently he changed his mind. And he spent at least part of his week calling Wayne LaPierre from the NRA. So Trump was on the phone with the NRA. Not on the phone with Mitch McConnell demanding that Congress come back into session to do something about the mass shootings. Or Fix the Gold Star families issue. Or he wasn't on the phone with the VA secretary trying to figure out why so many veterans are dying by suicide in VA parking lots or why this drunk guy was screwing up everybody's paperwork. Trump wasn't calling Putin to confront him on attacking our elections. He wasn't calling world leaders to negotiate a peace in Kashmir as India and Pakistan appear to be on the brink of war. And he wasn't calling Iran to press for the release of Austin Tice. Austin Tice is still a prisoner. He's a Marine and a journalist, not an enemy of the state. And if you're new to the issue, we covered it back in episode five of Angry Americans. That's the episode with Sarah Jessica Parker. Go back and check it out. But last week marks seven years since Austin Tice was kidnapped by supporters of the Assad government at a checkpoint in Damascus, Syria. He was reporting on the civil war that had just started there. All we've seen of him since 2012 is a video five weeks later of Austin blindfolded and bound, in distress, surrounded by men with firearms. But his parents, Deborah and Mark Tice, say their son is still alive. We know he's alive because we've had information from the highest level of our government that he is, Deborah said. Recently, Deborah and Mark wrote an open letter in the Washington Post, and this is what it said. Every single day Austin remains in detention, his story is news. It's current and ongoing news. Each time, the sun rises on another day. And now, more than 2,540 days. Almost seven years, the open letter says. And this week, the National Press Club Journalism Institute launched a new initiative called AskAboutAustin.org to keep his name in the headline. And if the noise of the White House won't, we'll do our best to try here. Even if our president won't. So, again, check out the hashtag Free Austin Tice and keep Austin's story alive. Because the president's not. He's too busy spreading vicious policies. Like a new one we learned about this week that'll really make your blood boil. So, the U.S. won't provide flu vaccines to migrant families at border detention camps. This is another example of owning the tone for the worst. At least three children held in detention centers at the Mexican border have died, in part from the flu. The government is not vaccinating migrant families and has no plan to do so ahead of the flu season. And the U.S. has seen an influx of people crossing the border in the past year, seeking relief from their respective countries. So if conditions don't improve, more kids will die. More kids will die because they're not vaccinated, because they're not getting flu shots because we're not giving them flu shots. And that's a reflection of this callous, nasty, indifferent, dehumanizing tone that is the new normal at this White House, and increasingly across America. These are the things that don't get focus. These are the problems that don't get solved. These are the challenges America is not being rallied to tackle because Trump is bombing away on the squad or Scaramucci or Greenland. And when we talk about owning the tone, that's also included twisted shots at owning patriotism. And that has also included protests by athletes during the National Anthem, most notably Colin Kaepernick in the NFL, one of Trump's favorite targets. So football season is almost here. And expect Trump to start bombing away on the NFL soon. He continues to attack and delegitimize many American institutions, especially institutions that have a lot of people of color and especially institutions that have a view that opposes him. And he not only attacks and opposes them, he supports alternatives that don't challenge him. So if he doesn't like CNN, he supports Fox. Or if he doesn't like Fox, he supports startups like One America News Network. You can go Google that one. He supports alternatives that favor him. And the same is true for football. So as he continues to bomb away on the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell, an old buddy of his is building a poor man's alternative. Trump's old buddy, WWE wrestling CEO Vince McMahon, is creating the XFL. A league that will fire any player who kneels during the national anthem. A league that will undoubtedly be Trump's new favorite. And a league that may or may not suck. But the XFL is back. Yep, it's back. And we've known Vince McMahon's Football League would make a return in 2020 for over a year now. But the eight franchises and team names and logos were revealed on Wednesday. So here they are. Your XFL team names. The D.C. Defenders. The Dallas Renegades. The Houston Roughnecks. The Los Angeles Wildcats. The New York Guardians. St. Louis Battlehawks. Seattle Dragons. And the Tampa Bay Vipers. We'll see about all that. I'm not sure I'm ready to be a New York Guardians fan just yet. But watch this space. It's been one of Trump's most controversial and most politically effective ways of owning the tone. And furthering his extreme political agenda. But don't worry, folks. Don't worry. Sean Spicer is going on Dancing with the Stars. Yep. That's gross, right? Of course. The full celebrity cast was revealed this week. More stars putting on their dancing shoes this season. That includes actor James Vanderbeek, supermodel Christy Brinkley, former Fifth Harmony member Allie Brooke, former NFL star Ray Lewis, actress Kate Flannery, comedian Kel Mitchell, Supremes music legend Mary Wilson, and former White House secretary Sean Spicer. Well, at least Saturday Night Live and Melissa McCarthy will have some new material to keep us laughing this fall, right? Spicer was complicit in creating a negative tone, in owning the tone for the worst, and enabling Trump for the critical first phase of his entire presidency. Maybe even Spicer recognizes he needs to change the tone now, or maybe he's just trying to change his image, something Trump doesn't seem to have any interest in doing. Yeah, Trump is owning the tone, but others are trying to counter it and owning the tone in ways big and small. And fighting back with light instead of heat. Images came out of El Paso this week that were overwhelming and really emotional. There was an outpouring of support for the victims. And Jose Delgado is a guy who runs Carter's Flower Shop with his wife. They dropped off at least 70 arrangements to a funeral with no end in sight. It was beautiful. FBI agents attended a funeral of an El Paso shooting victim, Margie Recklin, who had no family nearby. The FBI announced that it would send a delegation to the funeral services for the El Paso woman whose husband said that he invited the public because he has no other family nearby. And that was the outpouring of support, a tremendous outpouring of support for Antonio Basco. But this was nuts. Antonio Basco's car was stolen and totaled, right after his wife's funeral. But the ending is awesome. I've told you, look for the helpers. It's my new favorite hashtag. Antonio Bosco loved his old blue Ford Escape because it was his wife's. He lived in it for nearly a week in the Walmart parking lot where she died. BuzzFeed had a great story on this. So when his community discovered that hours after he buried her, someone stole and wrecked his car, they found him another one. On Saturday, surrounded by thousands of strangers, the 61-year-old guy laid his wife to rest at one of the largest funerals Texas has ever seen. Bosco said he invited everyone to come because now that she's gone, he really didn't have anyone else. So they did. Mourners came in droves, flying in from all over the country. They filled the pews and spilled into the hot sidewalks to be there with him, to pay their respects to Margie and to the other 21 people who died after a racist open fire in a Walmart a couple weeks ago. He was stunned, and the widower told the congregation about a woman most of them had never met, his wife, his world, that's what he called her, and how amazing she was. And hours later, somebody stole the aging Ford the couple shared and wrecked it. They wrecked it. But residents started sharing photos of the smashed Ford escape on Facebook, and the community rallied to support him again. And on Sunday, employees at the Casa Ford Lincoln learned that the escape had been damaged and wrote on Facebook that they were committed to helping him in any way they can. So the people in that dealership rallied. They knew Bosco wanted to repair the crushed escape because it belonged to Margie and he wanted to keep it. But they got lucky. They said they had a Ford escape in stock, a blue one. And so they donated it to him so that he could have a mode of transportation and still have a connection to his wife. And according to the people there, Bosco's pressure washer, which he uses to make a living washing cars, was also stolen. But after seeing the fundraising efforts, a guy from Alpine, Texas, called the dealership and said he could help. And he wanted to remain anonymous, but he drove down El Paso and donated a pressure washer. So for the second time in a few days, Bosco stood surrounded by strangers, surrounded by helpers, thanking them for their kindness and helping him remember his wife. He walked around hugging people, shaking hands, saying thank you, and cracking jokes.
2: You want to be a man, buy a fool. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I won't get too over there, there you go.
1: Bosco's owning the tone. El Pasoans are owning the tone in a powerful and positive way. And a few weeks ago, so was Joe Biden. Owning the Tone, talking with Anderson Cooper about the El Paso and Dayton mass shootings and about what it was like to lose his own wife and child and later his son, Bo. Biden was openly sharing, showing powerful vulnerability, sharing also what he'd look like as consoler in chief if he's elected. And this week, there was another leader who courageously stepped forward to own the tone in another interview with Anderson Cooper. This time, it was Stephen Colbert.
4: If you are grateful for your life, which I think is a positive thing to do, um, <laughs> yeah. not everybody is, right. and not, I'm not always, mm-hmm. um, but it's the most positive thing to do, then you have to be grateful for all of it. You, it's, you can't pick mm-hmm. and choose what you're grateful for. And then, so what do you get from loss? you get awareness of other people's loss. Well, that's true. Empathy. Which allows you to connect with that other person, right. which allows you to love more deeply and to understand what it's like to be a human being. If it's true that all humans suffer. Right. And so at a young age I suffered something so that by the time I was in serious relationships in my life with friends or with my wife or with my children is that I have some understanding that everybody is suffering and However, imperfectly acknowledge their suffering and to connect with them and to love them in a deep way that not only accepts that all of us suffer, but also then makes you grateful for the fact that you have suffered so that you can know that about other people. And that's that's what I mean. It's it's about the fullness of your humanity. Mm -hmm. What's the point of being here and being human if you can't be the most human you can be? I'm not saying best you're going to be a bad person and a mm. most human. I want to be the most human I can be. Mm. And that involves acknowledging and ultimately being grateful for the things that I wish didn't happen because they gave me a gift.
1: That interview is extraordinary. And Stephen Colbert is extraordinary. He's one of the most important voices of our times. He's a leader, a true patriot, and a role model. And I've been honored to know him and be around him a small bit. He's a truly good man. He's also been a tremendous friend of veterans everywhere. That's why at IAVA back in 2011, we were honored to recognize his leadership. And you must watch Stephen Colbert's acceptance remarks at that IAVA Heroes Gala. He took his show to Iraq years ago when no one else would. He fought for us as veterans constantly, and he told our stories with empathy and respect always and will forever be grateful and inspired with the congressional
4: super committee trying to cut 1.2 trillion dollars from the nation's budget everyone realizes how much the veterans have sacrificed in fact the senate house the senate and house veterans affairs committees sent the super committee recently a letter suggesting that you people are so good at sacrificing you should do more of it the letter reads, in part, quote, we believe no constituency better understands the challenge America faces and no constituency is better suited to, again, lead by example by putting country first. The suggestion is that you're so good at putting country first that you won't mind when we cut your health benefits rather than making the rest of us sacrifice. Well, I say, you've already put your country first over and over again. Maybe it's time for the rest of us to put our country first. So you get to keep your health benefits. Because I know, I know all of you know how to serve your country and put it first. And, but I don't know military protocol. Perhaps you could tell me, do you have to salute Congress when they look like they're flipping you the bird?
1: That's owning the tone in a positive way. That's what Colbert is doing. That's what Joe Biden is doing. That's what Sidney McCain is doing. And that's what the people of El Paso are doing. And it's what our president is not doing. And what our next president must do. It's what you can do every day in your home or at your job or even on your way to work when some asshole cuts you off in traffic. You can own the tone. And that's what I want to do with this show always. And especially right now. And it's what our guest this episode wants to do as well. And normally, he has. He had a notable exception last week. But as a testament to his character, he's owning it. And he's trying to grow from it. And he has lessons learned from it. And he's generously shared some of those lessons with us. And now, his experience can be a teaching moment for all of us. A moment of growth. Like when you're working out. Sometimes you have to go through uncomfortable stuff to really grow. You have to break muscles down to let them grow. And that's what this summer can be for America, if we choose to put our anger and our energy into a positive direction and not a negative one. Chris Cuomo is someone almost everyone in America wants to hear from this week, and we have him exclusively on Angry Americans. Chris Cuomo grew up in the political and media crossfire, and he knows how to mix it up with the most powerful people in politics and in the media. But in the last week, the Emmy Award-winning journalist has found himself in the middle of the headlines like never before. The controversial hosts of CNN's Cuomo Prime Time and Sirius XM's Let's Get After It radio show sat down with me for an extended interview about the state of affairs in America, the White House assaults on the media, Trump's attacks on him personally, and the recent incident that dominated headlines worldwide. But Chris is a friend. He was co-anchor of 2020 and an anchor on Good Morning America. And he's a breaking news guy. But he's not just a guy behind the desk. He's a kind of guy that gets out in the field with the people. He's been all around the world, covering the biggest and most important stories. And he's covered war, embedding multiple times in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And back home, he's been on the ground covering the Virginia Tech and Fort Hood shootings. He's been at the devastating hurricanes like Katrina and Rita. At his core, Cuomo's often a guy who tells how the biggest stories impact real people, working people. And he's always had a deep connection to the stories of the fighters and the truth-tellers. He's one of them. And nightly on CNN, he pushes for answers on behalf of those same people. And he's a new, rising kind of media force, similar to Rachel Maddow and Willie Geist, who we heard from in earlier episodes on this show. Chris Cuomo is transcending media. He's an important, inspiring, and iconic American who shaped what our country was, what it is right now, and what it will be going forward, especially in the age of Trump. Few people in the media have been in more direct and consistent conflict with the president on a regular basis than Chris Cuomo. And Cuomo opened up candidly about the last few weeks under the media microscope and about being in the crosshairs of Trump's Twitter account. He also shares his personal feelings on his Italian-American upbringing, parenthood, fishing, fitness, and his first car. It's unforgettable. You definitely don't want to miss that. He's a guy millions know from TV. But he's also a dad and a man of faith and a dude who loves sports and working out. It's a personal side of Chris Cuomo that you probably haven't heard before. We're going to really explore the toxic tone infecting America. And at the same time, examine the core of this show. What makes people understandably angry? And what can and should be done with it when we are? With America torn, fragile, and getting hotter by the day, I'm going to do my best to add light to all the heat. We're going to talk about cars and fishing, and we're going to share how I lost 32 pounds. It's the most timely and one of the most important interviews I've ever done. The tagline of Cuomo's TV show, And the name of his radio show that I sometimes guest host is Let's Get After It. And that's what me and Cuomo did this week and what we're going to do with this show in every episode. So let's get after it. Everyone is angry, most with good reason. The president's angry, almost always. And he uses it to divide and attack, to lash out and to weaken our country at its core. And he uses it to whip up the worst in other angry people. And as for the rest of us, we're angry too. But we have a choice to make. What are we going to do with it? How do we turn it into something positive, like John McCain did, in his life, and especially in his legacy? And the America of John McCain is the America of the revolution.
5: We gather here to mourn the passing of American greatness. The real thing not cheap rhetoric from men who will never come near the sacrifice he gave so willingly nor the opportunistic appropriation of those who live lives of comfort and privilege while he suffered and served the america of john mccain is the america of the revolution fighters with no stomach for the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot making the world anew with the bells of liberty the america of john mccain is the america of abraham lincoln Fulfilling the promise of the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and suffering greatly to see it through. The America of John McCain is the America of the boys who rushed the colors in every war across three centuries, knowing that in them is the life of the Republic. And particularly those by their daring, as Ronald Reagan said, gave up their chance at being husbands and fathers and grandfathers and gave up their chance to be revered old men. The America of John McCain is, yes, the America of Vietnam, fighting the fight even in the most forlorn cause, even in the most grim circumstances, even in the most distant and hostile corner of the world, standing even defeat for the life and liberty of other peoples in other lands. The America of John McCain is generous and welcoming and bold. She is resourceful and confident and secure. She meets her responsibilities She speaks quietly because she is strong. America does not boast because she has no need to. The America of John McCain has no need to be made great again because America was always great.
1: And that's the spirit of this country and the spirit of this show and this movement and this time in American history. At this point, There are only two kinds of people who support Trump. People who are stupid and don't know any better. And people who think they have something personally to gain from him being in power. That's it. If you support Trump right now, you're one of those two. So if you support him, ask yourself, which are you? Stupid or selfish? And so we all have a choice to make. Will we choose to be the Winter Soldier or the Sunshine Patriot? We all have a choice to make. Every single one of us can own the tone. Will we side with the dark or will we bring the light? It's about time we all channeled our inner Marion Williamson and own the tone in a more positive way. So,
3: Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field and, sir, love will win.
1: In this 50th anniversary of the summer of love, it's time to bring less darkness and more positivity. It's time to bring less hate and more love. It's time to bring less heat and more light. And of course, it's time for the four eyes. It's time for a firm and respectful handshake of integrity, a gracious pat on the back of information, a sincere and pleasant thank you of impact, and a big hug of inspiration. It's time to come together and own the tone. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 21. gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the Manhattan Classic Car Club for a guest interview that I am so excited about and have been planning for a long time. The great and powerful and mighty Chris Cuomo is with us today. How you doing,
6: man? Better than I deserve. Always good to be with you, not just because you're an American hero, but you're a good man and a good friend, and I'm happy for your success.
1: Uh, I appreciate that. You've been very generous in supporting it. Um it's hot in New York. Muggy. Muggy. The night uh, was hot. The night was wet. The <laughs> night was sultry. You remember that from
6: Mama, Throw Mama from the Train? I don't, but Billy now Crystal's I do. Billy Crystal's talking to DeVito, and he's like, listen, writing is hard. Sometimes there's not one perfect word. The night is hot. The night is wet. There's not just one word for it. And Mama sticks her head around and goes, the night was sultry. And he goes, let's kill the bitch.
1: And there was like a famous line from the movie. You got a lot of movie quotes. We're going to get into that. <laughs> but before we do, I ask every guest what what drink they would like, and that's a part of the show. I, there will be a giving of the gifts at the end. Um, but you have gone with a seltzer. I drink. Uh, you're drinking an Aperol Spritz. I am,
6: which is a play against type because you are like you know I am a all a about trained, playing against type, trained man. killer, and American hero, and you're drinking that fancy little drink.
1: It's delicious and refreshing. <laughs> and when I was in Italy, I don't know a long time ago, my wife started drinking them, and other people started drinking them. I said, yeah, you know, it's a great
6: summer drink. Your wife started
1: drinking, although she's
6: actually probably tougher than both of us put together. She absolutely is. She was
1: not drinking an Aperol
6: spritz when I saw her (laughs) out with her friends. She was not drinking an Aperol spritz. She actually insisted that we immediately do shots. I drink um, tequila almost always. Okay. Uh, That's actually her drink of choice too. I am not an aficionado. I don't like, you know, small batch, big batch, like how people get with brown water, you know, whiskey and all that stuff. I don't. I like tequila. Uh, I like it from two different perspectives. One, I think it's a good sipping drink. I don't. I'm not saying that you should be licking salt off your, you know, your hand and or someone's body and doing shots all night. But um, I like tequila. I drink it just on the rocks with a a lot of lemon. Sometimes a bartender I used to bartend uh, will say muddled lemon. Muddled lemon. Um, my father's drink was closer to yours. Aperol is kind of a cousin of Campari. Sure. Technically a bitters. Uh, He would drink a Negroni, uh, which is traditionally a gin drink. He did it with vodka. Uh, Campari, a little bit shot of vermouth in there. I will drink one of those now, although I don't really like them. But they make me think of my father. So I drink those every once in a while uh, if I'm drinking at all.
1: Well, that's a good start because this summer has been a summer in America that would drive a lot of people to drinking. <laughs> and I try to interview, every every interview person we've had on the show has been important, inspiring, or iconic. And so what about me? What is, you, this, a you're, you're <laughs> is this a new chapter? You're yeah, going to hit all those, Is this a new chapter? Yeah, infamous. my might infamous <laughs> by the end. But um, I wanted to talk to you for so many different reasons before events of the last couple of weeks, but in in particular because... I've been describing this as kind of a summer of stress and anxiety and chaos, especially in politics. And part of why I want to talk to you is because you're at the epicenter of it, man. Like as we sit down here today, the president of the United States is again calling the press the enemy of the state. Yeah. So just pulling it way back up, right? The 10,000 foot level. When, when you look at the state of America this summer, what do you think? I think that this is a trying
6: time because, you know, you know this from a lot of different perspectives than most Americans, but this is very fragile. What we have here, you know, people have never pulled off what we're doing here. Um, The richness of diversity, you know, a homogenous society has enough challenges. Um, But when you have all these different people, the temptation is to stick to your silos, you know, as uh, we learned uh, painfully In France, you know, one of the big problems they have there is they have a non-assimilative culture. So they have a lot of people uh, who are Islamic who are two generations French, but they're sitting on those outer neighborhoods. The French word is like arrondissement, something like that. Um, And they're not assimilated. You know, when I was there covering the Bataclan and they're chasing those guys around in that place, Saint-Denis, they're speaking Arabic there and they're second-generation Frenchmen. And we are not that here. We're assimilative. So it's fragile because it's not in keeping with human instinct of silos and sticking to your own, you know, law of the jungle bullshit like that. So it's fragile. And when you play on the divisions and you play to the fears, it's effective. You know, people use the word demagogue as a pejorative and they should, but often they, they think it connotes a sense of ham-fistedness or ineffectiveness. And that's, not true demagoguery negativity in politics is very powerful in fact it is easier to persuade through negativity than positivity which is why you have riots but you don't have hugins and you have <laughs> ad buys that are 3 to 1 negative to positive because it's a better investment of your money in the campaign because it's more effective they want to vote against something more than for something a positive opposite is a tricky sell and that's where the democrats find themselves right now i wish the president had more confidence in himself and in his position. And in so feeling that way, he would resist these cheap temptations to divide. Because he's not doing it because he's a man of profound principle. He's not some dedicated populist. Um, This is not someone who is burdened by deep convictions. So he's doing what he thinks works. And he's a demagogue. uh, And that's demonstrable but it's also dangerous and calling us the enemy. People are right to be pissed at the media on a regular basis. I'm pissed at the media on an on and off basis. However, I know it's not a monolith and I know you got to judge each outlet and each person and each outcome on its own, but it's always temptation, uh, tempting to, to uh, generalize into group and the media deserves the scrutiny and often the criticism. And I'm okay with that. And I think it's ripe to be attacked. And he attacks all the right things. I just don't think he needs to. And I think it's more dangerous than he realizes. And if he does realize, he doesn't care. Because at the end of the day, his list of priorities is very simple. It begins with him and his self-protection. And it ends there as well.
1: So you've been generous enough to let me uh, guest host on your radio show on Sirius XM big thanks to your team and to you. They call you the come up. Is is that what they call me? They call me me a a lot of things um, (laughs) because you can curse on the air, but it's been, it's been a really fascinating examination for me in part because you get to talk to people all across the country. You get call-ins in real time and you've got a very dedicated listener base and a smart listener base. But one of the things that I've talked about um, when I'm hosting is how the president has the opportunity to own the tone and to set a command climate. And we, unfortunately, are all living in the wake of that command climate. But what is it like for you and for people like you, right? And and this is where there's strange bedfellows, you and Hannity and Maddow and Meghan McCain. On the way in, I told you that if I wanna see fury in America, all I have to do in my Twitter feed is mention either you, Rachel Maddow, or Meghan McCain, all from different sides, but there's an unusual fury and nastiness that is coming and you know no one's gonna i'm not saying poor you but like what is it like for the humans that are in this environment because you all are human beings to to have that kind of command climate and to have a bullseye on you right to have the president say your name the commander-in-chief to rain that down on you is something i don't think most americans can can even begin to understand but i hope you can help them understand well it's unnatural right? What I do uh, or what I
6: was doing, I thought rather effectively, was ignoring it. Uh, And, you know, as you know, from being in theater so often, you know, if you focus on the task at hand, keep your, uh, you know, your mentality on mission, then you just kind of go through whatever you're going through. And at the end of it, it's over. And I know certainly that's what I do when I was on embeds and, you know, depending on you and your brothers and sisters for my Uh, protection, I would just pretend that I'm glad I'm not going through what I'm seeing through the camera right now. I'm glad I'm just looking through this little camera right now. I'm glad that, you know, this isn't as bad as I think it is. And in a much more subtle way, because obviously uh, war can be used as a metaphor, but there's only one real war and everything else is just a faint echo of it. um, You ignore the toll it takes on you emotionally and the risk it presents to your family except to the extent that you have to manage it. Uh, because that makes you uncomfortable, right? When you start to realize the, the, the reality, which is that you're putting your kids and your wife in a bad spot, it starts to make you feel more like a piece of shit, and so you avoid that. Um, but one of the lessons of the last week uh, for me was the reminder of the reality. You wanted to be relevant, you wanted to build up a platform, you built up a platform, now you're relevant. So uh, when people have a chance to come at you in this climate, they're gonna come both barrels, and they're going to stay on you until they think they're not, it's not hurting you anymore and they'll find a new target. And, you know, that's the deal. So certainly not a victim, uh, certainly uh, not discouraged, just a little bit more wide-eyed about what happens and pissed at myself um, because I don't like being what I oppose. I don't like adding uh, to the ugliness. I'm better than that. I'm better trained than that. Um, But I'll tell you, Pidge, you know, you learn about yourself uh, in life, you know, even at my advanced age, you're always still learning about yourself. And I didn't appreciate my sensitivity to what changes in me when the kids are around. And, you know, just as a mere statement of fact, stuff being said in front of my kid is different than stuff being said directly to me. And My kid was gone when I got into it with the guys. I wouldn't have exposed her to that. I'm not that much of a numbskull. Um, But I felt differently. I felt that this was way over the line. As I did when people went near uh, Tucker Carlson's family. I don't like what he does on television. And I do believe it's an act. I don't believe in what he's promoting. I think it's cheap and dangerous and mean. Um, And I think he has a big mouth. But I would never, ever think that that was cool, what they did to his wife and kids in that restaurant, going to his house. It's wrong on a number of levels. And that's on someone's family, I don't even like him. You know, I like me, you know, and I like my kids. And it really bothered me. It was so wrong in my mind. Now, as you well know, and you're learning on the media side now, you have a choice. You cannot control what comes at you, but 100% you control with how, how you deal with it, assuming that there's no threat involved, because then someone's making choices for you. Um, but I make the decision about how I react to what somebody said, and I made bad freaking choices, and I did it because I was pissed off. I wasn't drunk. I wish I, I wish I could say I was. You know, I wish I had an excuse. I have no excuse. Um, I was pissed off, and I knew they were recording me, and I didn't give a damn that they were recording me. I wanted um them to record it because i thought what they did was so wrong now the weaponizing of me and the dividing of the incident into agendas and motivating things as metaphor i did not anticipate i did not see myself as being that relevant uh to be attacked by righty fringe types for a week but i am
1: so now i know yeah Yeah. And and i think that's that's what i really find most interesting and maybe most important is on some levels it's not about you it's On about most, of them, most levels. One. It's not about you, it's right? About the There's the an right, environment the yeah. where as soon as you and I have known each other a long time now, right? We met because of your work in the veterans community and because of your coverage overseas. And we've stayed in touch over the years. And you've been a great mentor and friend to me and a lot of other people in the, in the environment. And I know what kind of person you are. You're a patriot. You're, you're a family guy. You care deeply about your community and about your family, and about this country. In a way, frankly, a lot of other people in the media don't. I'll say that, because I know many of them, and I don't think many of them care about the country in the same way that you do, and you've been committed to that. But on some levels, what alarms me the most is when that went down, I don't even know if I texted you, I said, he's going to come. You know he's going to come. You know the president of the United States is going to pick a person and bring down a level of, of, of pressure that is unlike anything we've seen in my lifetime. And I was in a very weird way outside uh, experienced this at a point when we said we would not accept money at IAVA from any presidential candidate at a time when Trump was giving money away to veterans groups. We stood up and said, we won't take it. We got death threats. We got death threats to our social workers who were answering a call in line. And that is a statement of fact. That is what we experience because of this environment that I believe he is responsible for creating. Right. So that's what I really think is most instructive about this experience. People are going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. You are a good man. You own your mistakes. I own my mistakes. I've talked about them on this show. I'll talk about them in the future. But the question is when our leader decides to cannibalize that or manipulate that, that's a whole new world.
6: Yeah, we're just not used to it.
1: We're used to leaders,
6: you know, like you did for the men underneath you when you uh, were actively in the service. You try to present your best self. And we're used to presidents trying to do that. They fall short, every human being will in whatever their endeavor is. uh, And they'll get criticized for it. And that's politics. And that's a robust aspect of our culture. We can say what we want to whomever we want. Whenever we want. Uh, And that is our right. Doesn't always make what we say and do and when and how right, but that is our right. This man is different. Um, As a leader, I would argue he is not a leader. Uh, I would argue that he checks no boxes of leadership. Um, People will say, well, that's because you hate him. That is not true. I hate no individual. I don't believe in investing that kind of emotion in people. Um, if anything, I'm guilty of indifference um, wh- when it comes to people that I don't really know. I'm slow to judge. Uh, I've been around too much, seen too many people. People have too many facets. I'd have to know more about them um, than to see them in a single incident, depending how overwhelming what that subject matter is. But he's playing to advantage, he knows the rules very well, and he's made it okay to be ugly. He's made it okay to be mean. He's made it a proxy for strength. He's made negativity a proxy for insight. And I just don't agree with any of that. And I don't think it's subjective. I think it's objective. And I'm okay with them coming after me. I'm a big boy. I can take it. I was bred by wolves and in a bad environment. So you are not gonna scare me. I was on vacation last week. The suggestion that it was about anything else is bullshit. I would have come back in a heartbeat if it was a suggestion that I was hiding or being hidden. This just didn't matter enough. I did get some ugly threats. I only had one person, though, in person, echo what those chumps said. It's easy to say online, Fredo, Fredo, Fredo. You don't want to accept that I find it offensive uh, as an ethnic mob reference. That's fine. You don't have to accept it. You also don't get to judge my sensitivity about it, especially if you're not Italian, Um, especially if you didn't come up as me, especially if you weren't raised by who I was raised by, a man who was so profoundly affected by it. Everybody knows it's not the N-word. Well, then why'd you say it? Because I was pissed off. And I was trying to make a point to somebody. It wasn't my closing argument on the show. I know what the N-word is and what it isn't. I fight uh, for social justice as a journalist because I think that's part of our job. The idea that journalists aren't advocates is silly. You're advocating for the truth. And the truth is that we don't have the level of justice, of fairness under law that um, we should. And certainly the African-American community doesn't have it. I say it all the time and I say it because it's true. I get it. I was pissed off. I was mad at this guy, especially once I realized I think he's one of mine. And I asked the guy, and he was. He was of Italian or so he said. Right. I was pissed off, so you're not at your best. And then everybody in the media who wanted to slice it up, sliced it up like I was making a polemical argument about it. And I wasn't. That's the media. That's okay. I open myself up to it. I take it. That's fine. What I don't like is the idea that it's okay to be mean, and it's okay to treat somebody in a bad way based on how they're different from you. If I want to come at you, there's a hundred ways.
1: That's the important point, Chris, I think that that I want to focus on and I think needs to be focused on is what the president has consistently done is dehumanize. Whether it's brown people coming across the border or Muslims or his political opposition or the media, there is a dehumanizing. And that includes public people, right? The idea that you as a public person uh, can be dehumanized bothers me on your behalf personally as your friend as someone who cares about you but also as someone who cares about this country yeah it's also right? just cheap that, it is you cheap. don't want to deal it with what cheap. I'm saying so yeah. you deal with me but there, but there is you know I'm glad you brought up, you know, your, your dad grew up in a time and you grew up in a world in politics where there was a certain level of respect. There was a certain level of decorum in public figures an expectation that people would talk a certain way, act a certain way. Your dad was governor most of the time when I was growing up. And I came from an Italian family and he was a role model for people. Right. And he was the type of leader that people aspired to be like. And, you know, maybe if he made a different choice, there would be no Bill Clinton. He might be president. But the point is that that there was a set of rules that people generally abided by. That was about respect, and that was about understanding people's humanity. And that is gone. And and that is what troubles me the most about his the environment well, he's created. It's creating.
6: not gone. It is. Well, being, it's gone from the White House, it's right? Being and it's tested, gone. And it's right. gone from
1: that tone being that is being controlled. And, and what it creates is an environment where people think it's okay to walk up to you and say something in front of your kids because they don't like what you say, or they think it's okay to call a social worker and threaten them because they disagree with the stance an organization took or it, there's a there's a rabidness to it that is in my view out of control right and and he is in a unique position to control it and every one of us that have a, a, a platform of any kind can control it in our way and i've asked people who listen to the show to think about how they can control it whether it's at their you know at their supermarket or at their dinner table mm. so as you operate in this media environment. Is there common ground here among the Tucker Carlsons and you and Hannity? Was a guy who stepped out to defend you. Yeah. But but where is where is the road forward here? Is it, it's going to get worse, right, I mean, look, for It's going to get worse. I I hope
6: not. It certainly could, but I I hope not. You know, pundits are in the business of selling their perspective. Um, you know, people will lump me in with that as an insult, right? Because they'll be denying the existence of. Um, your journalism because the journalism is elevated above that, and it should be. Um, But they are selling ideas. So they're going to go with what works. And Carlson, look, Hannity, in defense of him, I'm not defending him because he was nice to me. I've always said this about him. People beat me up about it all the time. I've known him many years. He's always been saying this. The president is an echo of him. He's not an echo of the president. He's not a pundit. He's not a puppet of the president. The president, if anything, I don't think the president's his
1: puppet either. I think, that's, I think that's very insightful. That's that but is insightful, and it's, that is something that accurate. not a lot of folks have talked about.
6: It's just accurate. Hannity has not changed his tune. He's not changed his game. These are his yeah. ideas, and he believes them on and yeah. off camera. A guy like Carlson and these other fringe right figures, they're playing to advantage, and I think it's wrong to sell people toxicity. I think it's a mistake. And they'll say, well, so do you. That's part of the new environment is the I'm going to say about you what you say about me, even though contextually it's almost never accurate. This president does a lot of that. What people need to understand when we do this segment on the show called Don't Be a Sucker, it's because he's playing you when he does these things. He's expecting you to be too stupid and too absorbed by emotion to see the play. And that as long as he says, no, I'm not a bigot, you're a bigot, you know, that therefore somehow he's equalized it. That stuff is cheap and dangerous and we're supposed to be better than that. But here's the problem, Peach. And the Democrats didn't understand this and it beat them. And I don't know that they understand it yet either, which is the anger is real. I was happy you chose the name Angry American for the podcast. Um, A lot of people only ascribe negative traits to anger. I don't. I see it as a very pr- uh, prime and uh, basic motivating emotion. Um, a lot of therapists like mine will use the term reach emotion. Right. Uh, where do you go uh, with most facility to deal with a situation? Anger is often my reach emotion. I actually work on that. I know that's hard to tell based on the last piece of, of audio and video that came out about me. But um, it doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't have to mean aggression and violence. Uh, it's about an emotional dedication and a passionate response to thing that can be positive or negative. You know, you could be angry and you, by what happened, you could save a child. You know, you could be angry and you could throw somebody down a flight of stairs. Those are different things motivated by the same emotion. Uh, it doesn't have to be about animus. So the anger, the hostility, the frustration, the desperation, the fear is real. And the irony is that this man who is president does not have any affinity to any of those emotional concepts as the people who are looking to him see it and experience it. And yet they look to him. And what that tells you is that they are so desperate. And I do not mean that as criticism. I'm saying that it's so real. They're so worried. They feel so disaffected, so forgotten, that they would pick a guy that they know is not what they really want, but at least he is there for them and says he'll do it, and in a liar's game, in an ugly game, in a virus-ridden game, he is their uh, own agent. Yeah,
1: and that, that's, that's a part of why I chose to name the show Angry Americans, because the anger is real, and in my view, it's often justified. And it's a righteous anger that drove the civil rights movement, created the Boston Tea Party. We could go on and on, right? And, and if you're not angry on some levels, you're, you're not paying attention. The question becomes, what do you do with it? And I wanted this show to be a place that reclaimed it in some ways and channeled it into a positive place in opposition to the way he's channeled it into a very negative place. In a similar way to kind of how, you know, Colbert kind of mocked the conservatism with the Colbert report and kind of twisted it on its head. This has become a similar Rorschach test and that people see in anger what they want to see in it and it becomes a very interesting tool, an interesting like pivot for this show and how people react to it. And most people, you know, agree that a mass shooting is a reason to be angry, right? What do you do about it? How do you channel it? That is up to us as as free thinkers and as leaders whether it's in your family or on a TV show. So it takes me to the question that I do ask every single guest, which is Chris Cuomo, what makes you angry? What makes me
6: angry? There are a lot of things that make me angry. Um, let me give you uh, probably more atypical answers than what you get on the show. Uh, I'm angry at myself a lot. I'm angry at myself for falling short as a parent, as a partner, and as a person. Although I pray in reverse. I, <laughs> I pray for strength and guidance to be a better person, parent, and partner. Um, because that's how I prioritize. You know, you got to be... Good to yourself and others as an example for your kids, and that will motivate you to be good to them because you're only going to be as good with your kids as you are in general. People think they'll be different people for their kids, but you are who you are. You are what you practice. So I'm very angry at myself on a regular basis about falling short for the people who matter to me. Um, by extension, I will be angry at myself on a regular basis for how I perform on the show and how the show is doing and what it means, not just ratings. Um, because, you know, as the referee, you're only going to get so much of the pie right now because people are rooting for the teams. You know, right, they're there for right true. and left. They're not yeah. there for the ref. All the ref does is screw up the game. You know, you know, to the extent that he or she is relevant, they're relevant because people are pissed at them for what they did. So I get that and I'm playing a long game. Um, but resonance and relevance and where you weigh in and where you don't weigh in and how and when you matter and how you pick your spots and how you test power. I'm very tough on my self about that because I think it matters a lot and I'm often angry with um, my level of follow through and dedication. I am angry that we are allowing ourselves to fall for the bait of division. I'm angry that I'm not doing enough to make people see it for what it is. And I got to tell you, I I mean, I get heat for this, but I don't don't really care. I mean, I'm blessed with a relative level of emotional shallowness. So you can only hurt me so much because I can only feel so much. (laughs) You know, it's one of the benefits for me. Uh, You can't hurt me that deep. I don't go that deep. It's just you mess with my kids. Now, now you're playing on something that matters to me more than myself. I just, I don't like that. I'm not getting through that. If the president wins again, I'm fine with that. Democracy is the ultimate goal. And as long as it's a fair outcome, then the people have gotten what they want. And it's not a mobocracy. So that's what they get. I'm okay with it. I'm telling you now I'll be okay with it. I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. And I I think a lot
1: of other people are are not okay with it. I understand. But even more importantly, I don't think I have that certainty that it's going to be fair. I mean, when when, well, Mueller, when the Mueller report is, is is flagging, you know, Russian intervention in our democracy as a core issue, and everyone gets distracted by whatever shit he tweets about today, I think that a key part of leadership is prioritization and what you choose to focus right. on. And the things he's choosing to focus on right now endanger our national security, endanger our domestic unity, endanger our global. Uh, stability and, and security. He's certainly messing with the fabric. Yeah. There's no I question. Mean, I mean, I called him last week. He's kind of like uh, you know Fargus from A Christmas Story. Yeah, right. He's messing with Ralphie. He's messing with everybody. And so, I guess what what I have a problem with it, and I think you are much more diplomatic, and you deserve credit too, because the people people don't understand the civility that you and let me say, let me put Matt out in this category too. There's something you guys do. You shake hands with your guests. A lot of people don't do that. I've been on Hannity's show. He didn't shake my fucking hand. He was not respectful to me when I was, up and, I was an up-and-comer. It was 2004, I went on his show. He came at me. He didn't talk to me before. He didn't talk to me afterward. And some people will do that. You, you, just the two of you as an example, uh, bring a certain level of respect. And I think honor and integrity to the craft and to like humanity. Saying, hey, I'm going to shake your hand. How are you today? I'm going to thank you afterward. Call you sir or ma'am. I think that that is more important than ever. and And I think it must be recognized and it must be noted. But... As we came in here, we started talking about the cars in this place, and when we were growing up, that that for me and for you came from a place when we were growing up, yeah. right? certain we uh, way. especially
6: for me, my father, my brother Andrew, yeah. Pop was not a car guy. He wasn't a thing guy. He was yeah. completely non-acquisitive. He wasn't about things. Um, uh, you know, he grew up so dirt poor as a Depression baby and stuff. But Andrew is a master mechanic, and he paid his way through school working AAA and buying and selling cars. Um, you know, and, my
1: brother's a mechanic too. Oh, We've we never had this that. conversation. I never My brother's that. a mechanic. But Andrew's too. like a,
6: the real deal. Yeah, yeah. He's taught me, you know, just about everything I know. Um, and the only reason I don't say everything I know is because I've had my own screw ups on my own time that I've had to figure out. Because, you know, as I've gotten older, he's been too busy. Um, but he's the kind of guy who like hears something. And then knows something about a machine. I'm the one who like the shit breaks and then you buy the part and I'll- But it teaches you a lot. I'll it teaches it you
1: about respecting things and oh, yeah. people. He makes the hard better. work and and putting in the work and yes, understanding and he learning. makes stuff better. That guy took apart a washing <laughs> machine and put
6: it back together for my mother when he was like 16. Uh, so when I was, by the time I was 11, it was a different, it was all American cars then. I mean, if there were- foreign cars was a very select group and sp- certainly not in my neighborhood i would be on the highway with in my, with my family in the car and i would know every car on the road and i would know it by like a sliver of the vehicle i could see a little bit of a make model year and i yeah. would know yeah. now i've lost it it actually bothers me a little bit i've lost <laughs> i've lost that ability because there are too many cars that look too alike now you know, cars used to yeah, have distinctive yeah, shapes, yeah. you know. Now they all, you know, like what's the difference between like a Lexus and a Hyundai and a BMW and an Acura? It's hard to tell. But I love cars, especially old cars. Andrew has several. I have uh, one. I had a 93 Bronco that I drove around. I got rid of that. Now I have a 2014 Raptor because I needed the capacity and the separation of funky stuff from friendly stuff. Um, but I have a 69 Firebird that I've had for 20 Two years um, that I went through the whole car with my buddy Eric in his house garage in Queens. And then we did the paint outside. And then I had a guy named Sonny Palermo from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, do the bottom of the engine. And then we rebuilt the top of the engine um, with a good buddy of his that has a garage. And I then smacked it up doing a burnout, leaving one of my wife's parties. And I banged into the back of my friend's parked car. So then I had it repainted. Um so I've had that car forever and until I put a port injection system on it from Holly with a buddy of mine who was running popular hot rodding
1: at the time and this guy uh, named- Your buddy who was running popular hot riding at the time, and you got Sonny Palermo, and your brother, who's now the governor, is a yeah. master mechanic. It takes a this village. Is, this, this, is, this is a deeper level than I expected It takes Cuomo. a village. Nick this Giordano is, is-, is the
6: guy who helps me the most with the car. He's in Quorum. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are Italians. Um, although Rich Freiberg, who's the popular hot riding guy, now he's huge on Instagram. He's not Italian. Um, but- they taught me everything I know, so I know cars. You can ask me anything so about what, it. So, Chris answer. Cuomo,
1: what was your first car?
6: Seventy-seven Cutlass, called the Cut Loose three hundred five, which was a dog of an engine, um, but it did have a four barrel on it, and that made a big difference uh, for that car. And you know, it had a, it has straight, um, had a, a straight three speed transmission, um, and it was it was stock, but it was uh, white with fire engine red interior, velour. And that was some cheesy shit by today's standards. <laughs> but I put a JVC stereo on it with uh, the the uh, orange instead of the green uh, LCD crystal display. And that, and I put some nine inch um, Jensen uh, speakers in the back and uh, pioneer tweeter speakers in the front, uh, it was a tape, you know, it was a cassette player. And that was the shit, that car. And I detailed the entire engine. I painted the entire engine in the car. I would use pieces of cardboard as separators and my hand. So it was always filled with paint. And I used that that light blue GM color paint for the whole manifold and the block. I painted the exhaust manifolds white. I shouldn't have. I should have done gray. That was stupid. And I did the uh, valve covers um, blue also because they weren't chrome. I did the whole engine and i did the air cleaner uh stock black and that car was tight it was clean and the ladies liked it
1: wow oh yeah that's a really good answer cuomo i had and the answer did not so good and you're still going go ahead keep going the inside 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 smelled good the red velour smelled good
6: and the carpet yeah it was like almost like a velvety
1: what did it smell like? I've never asked this of anyone. What carpet, did your cars smell? Carpet like? fresh. Carpet fresh. Remember carpet fresh? Yes, I do.
6: I do. What I would do with that yes. is I would make it, I would mix it with water and make it into like a paste and put it on a rag. And I would rub the stuff down, wait for it to dry, and then vacuum it all off. And it would
1: smell great for weeks. And then it would smell fucking disgusting. No. No, really? No, 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 I keep my ship. Wow. My boat. Are there any photos of you? Like what, what did your hair look like? And did you have the biceps going on like you got now when you were driving that thing?
6: Um, no, I was in military school. So I had, um, my hair didn't curl till I hit puberty. So like I was, I had, I had a, cut on my head so I didn't have to keep my hair cut for a certain length as it was growing back and I was going to take a piss during basketball practice during my when I was like 15 14 when I was like really in puberty my hair was curly and I had never seen it as curly before so I had no game um I went to Chess King I had some leather ties and some parachute pants Capizio's uh, some Cavaricci.
1: z You had the Z-Cavaricci's? Sure, sure. You're like the lost character from Dazed and Confused, man. <laughs> like, was Matthew McConaughey racing you when you were in this vehicle?
6: No, no. <laughs> but, Jesus. But uh, that was my game. And the Cutlass, the Cutlass was a life changer for me. That, that- Life changer. Being able to drive and get
1: out. This is why we asked the car question, but that's that's a whole new level. You have set a new bar for the car question on Angry <laughs> Americans. That is that is up there, man. That is going to be a hard one to top going forward. The car me,
6: uh, made What me happened angry. to it?
1: Do you have any idea what happened? Yeah. To it? You know, when I
6: went to college, I Sean Hannity bought it, right? I, yeah, right. <laughs> he, uh, added it to his fleet. Um, I sold it to my sister's cleaning lady's son. He needed a car. And. It was just like, sitting. actually, you know where it was sitting? It was sitting at the Javits Center. Um, My father was governor when I went to college, and it broke down at the Javits Center, and they kept calling me. They were trying to be nice, but they were like, you got to get your car out of here. And it was like sitting in some back lot at the Javits Center.
1: And I, uh, I wound up selling it. I don't miss it. So I think that cars teach you a lot about life. You learned a lot from your dad and all these other role models growing up. But you also are passionate about fishing very. So why do you like fishing and, process. What you, and what do you learn about fishing? Process.
6: I love process. Um, and you know, I mean, I don't like love waiting in line. I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, um, the process, uh, of, uh, fishing in particular tackle preparation, um, uh, skill of, of, of know-how, uh, tying knots, understanding tackle. I don't believe in the acquisitive nature of that. You know, guys collect tackle, like, like uh, the stereotype of women in shoes. A lot of guys collect shoes and sneakers also, right? You got your sneaker heads, but I don't believe in that. I don't need to Do get th-
1: lost in the precision. Is that, is that kind of an escape that yeah. you can be so laser it's focused?
6: It's 100% an escape. I love to catch. Everybody wants to catch, yeah. but I'm fine when I don't. I love running the boat. I love the boat uh, being right, which almost never freaking happens. Boats are a nightmare um but i love that i love having the tackle i love taking people out i love taking people out and putting them on fish way more than i love catching fish yeah i am so happy when i am out with a couple of guys uh and we're on the fish or i have mario my son and i'm not a sexist i take my girls they don't want to go uh, cha-cha will come sometimes. Bella was never really into it. She sees me now as a taxi service to take her and young boys tubing and shit like that. So I'll do that. I'm if fine. If only
1: she knows what you knew what you used to drive.
6: That's, that's right. Uh, she, would, she would drive anything. She's so desperate to get out of the house and, you know, and have control of her own time. So I love the prep. Yep. I love the know-how. I love the planning. I love the guy time. Yep. Uh, I love what they talk about. Uh, I love the perspective shift. I love being on the water. I love the salinity um, and I love the boating and I love the excitement and I love the conservation aspect of it. You know, people who come after me for catching fish, they misplace priorities. Uh, one, I am very slow to accept somebody's profound sense of humanity that they don't want to hurt these animals. I almost always go to their sites and I start looking at what invariably pops up as all the nasty shit that they engage in. Because they're almost all political people. There are very few people who have an interest in me that aren't political people, and
1: that I'm, may change after this show. We'll see.
6: <laughs> but it, you know, the idea that oh, the, you care about this best, but you're saying all these terrible things about the president or about the Democrats or about right. whatever it is, whoever they're attacking, and it's like get straight, get, get straight with your own life before you start judging other people's. And I do a lot of catch and release anyway. If and I'll tell you something illegal. Um, my rule is this on my boat and uh, I'm sure Andrew's going to hate that I say this, but when it comes to striped bass, I'd rather you keep a short fish um, that I believe eat better um, than, you know, as striped bass get bigger, they get bigger liver stripes and get a little mealy. But they also become breeders. Over 30 inches about, striped bass become breeders. And I say, why keep these big ass bass that are so productive as breeders don't even eat as well when you can just keep a smaller one? And I understand that they have different Uh, science that fuels their limits and their idea of what to cull and whatnot. But on my boat, I'll say to you, you want to keep a 26-inch fish instead of a 28-inch fish? Fine, that's your fish, but you don't keep a big fish. When it comes in, we use a lot of non-barbed hooks. Let's take the picture, and then we release it. My phone is filled with videos of me
1: releasing fish. My father similarly gets gets the same kind of satisfaction of getting people to get fish and getting them them up on water skis. That's the other thing. My dad will take a very special satisfaction in getting people up on water skis. But I got to ask you, Chris, because we asked it in the last show, and it's relevant. We have a show that I, I push a debate of the day when I host for you on, on Let's Get After It, mm-hmm. and I give this very difficult question. You must choose usually between two alternatives: mm-hmm. pancakes or waffles, cheese or chocolate, beer or whiskey. But I'm I, good at all of those. But things. I offered I offered one a couple weeks ago. That was the first time I offered three options, and I have to ask you now: mm-hmm. ocean, lake, ocean, or river. Ocean. It's not even a contest. Not even a contest. Nope. I figured you would say that, but I had to give you a chance to respond to that. You know why? The salinity, but also the boundlessness of it. The
6: ocean is bigger than us. Now, there are huge lakes, literally great lakes, right? But they end somewhere.
1: What about, I mean, you grew up in New York. Your, your father and now your brother have had a huge part of of what's right behind you right now which is the hudson river yeah the 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 rebirth of the hudson yeah. river is one of the great stories Andrew's of the last big, couple of decades very big on it right? very big on my it. my father catches blues in the hudson i grew up swimming in the hudson yeah. people used to say that's why my brother and i was so big because season. of the radiation in the hudson yeah but now the hudson's really it's a great success better. story of conservation got and a way is now to go. maybe one of the cleanest estuaries it's getting there in but the country?
6: Need, need, need better. Right. Um, Andrew understands that. You got to balance commerce and conservation. He gets that too. He's very uh, pragmatic. He doesn't get enough credit for that. Um, Andrew is such a better politician than my father was. Um, really? Why, yeah. why do you think so? Because Andrew understands. No, I'm telling you, the guy, look, I know he's my big brother. I know I'm not objective about him. That's why I don't cover him. Um, that would be silly. And when people say, "Why didn't you cover this that your brother did?" It's like that's so asinine. Why do you think I did? And of course he, ra- he raised me. Andrew's thirteen years older than I am. Everything I know how to do, really, he taught me how to do because Pop was away. Right. You know, I played a lot of ball with Pop when I got older, but he doesn't fish. He didn't fight. You know, he didn't do any of these things. Andrew was the guy who was so good with his hands. Um, Andrew taught me a lot of how to be a man and how to take care of family and what you should do and how to be around the house and. Um, rebuilding the lawnmower and fishing and boating, all this shit I learned from my brother. I mean, what's right is right. right. Um, he doesn't like what I do on a regular basis. And he really, you know, came at me hard about last week. Not because he doesn't have my back. Of course he has my back. Stupid media. Uh, governor weighs in in favor, takes his, throws his weight behind his brother. Of course he's going to, th- family is everything to us. You know, I could have killed a bag of kittens yeah. and he would have said he's still my brother and I love him. But I have to take, uh, I have to take objection to what he did. And he certainly does. Because Cuomo's, you know, we don't fake the funk like that. You know, one, if you're going to, you know, you're so angry that you're going to hit me, hit me. Don't just sit there, shit talk to me for an hour and a half, which is what I did. And that was a mistake. Don't be what you oppose. He's 100% right. Um, when they put my father on the cover of the New York Post as a mafia don, I have never been angrier about a media representation that involves me or anything I did than I was with that. That was the cheapest worst I will never respect that outlet ever again not because I'm some victim they didn't do me wrong I put yeah, myself in yeah. a position but to put a dead man that you know damn well Murdoch knows damn well what being represented as a mafioso would mean to my father and he did it anyway that is where we are right now yeah. Yeah. no decency that is not a man of honor Now, you can say, oh, who are you to talk? Look how you handled yourself. Honor is often in the accountability as well. Integrity isn't always being right, always doing the right thing. Even the definition of doing the right thing when other people don't know, even that assumes that we're flawed and that you need a standard because it reflects the reality, which is we're going to fall short. I fell short. And I appreciate people saying, no, you didn't. You did the right thing. I would have done the same thing. Thank you, thank you. I don't agree. I wish I could do it over.
1: And and, And look, I character is how you respond right and 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 character is defined over the course of your life right we're, we're going to be judged on our deathbed or when we're gone or by our children maybe most of all right and uh, you you touched on something just now and i know we're going back to this but i think it's important that i don't know if people understand who don't know the intersection of the italian american experience in politics fully understand i work for jerry ferraro mm, miss I, you rest I, in peace. I, I drove i drove a bus for Geraldine Ferraro when she was running for Senate against Chuck Schumer. Okay. It was, Talk I think it was 1998. It, it was when I first graduated college. I got, it was a job. Italian I to work American politics.
6: married to a guy who was controversial right. to be nice about right. it.
1: Right. Right. But I, but I think that that's a side of this that maybe if there's a silver lining and, and we're going way in the way, way back machine in many elements in America right now about the darker parts of our history, but I don't think people fully understand uh, the modern Italian-American experience, for quite frankly, and especially what politicians of that era had to experience, and why there, I think, is, is and rightfully so, a certain level of sensitivity. Yeah. I look like the least Italian guy around, maybe. My grandmother was named Galella, She had 11 brothers and sisters. They all lived in the Bronx together, and I grew up in an Italian community, in an Italian family. So maybe I had a little bit higher radar to it than people might expect, but The reason I focus back on it, Chris, is because I don't think people fully understand the intersection of identity and politics, period, fully. But you've lived in it. You grew up in it. And why that is especially egregious. Especially with Pop.
6: I mean, people think he didn't run for president because he had mob ties. George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, may rest in peace. Um, They had an open investigation into my father looking for him. He had feds tell him, You know, we've been looking at you. We never found anything. And he was like, of course you never found anything. You know, uh, his brother, may he rest in peace, was in the waste management business for Wall Everybody therefore thought, you know, it's such a mobbed up business, he must be in it. He killed himself to be seen as clean and never asking my father for anything, never involved in the state. He was a man of such incredible integrity, as was my father. You don't have to like his politics. There are certain political positions he had that I don't like. You know what I mean? But that's not what it was about. And they know that 15% of this state is Italian-American. Now, a lot, of, a lot of Italian-Americans have lost contact with that. You know, we're just considered white people. Peach, I remember the day that my father saw something written about me where it was about being white or whatever. You know, it was pre-Trump, obviously. And he laughed and said, I'm glad we've made it. I'm glad that we're considered white people now. And he said it as a joke because he never felt that he was considered white. He was an ethnic. Yeah. It, they treated him differently in school. They called him names. The way they used to describe him in politics. If you go back and Google how they described him. Yeah. Swarthy. Yeah. Gap-toothed. Yeah. Baggy-eyed. Now, now, some of it is just physical. Well, he had baggy eyes. But it was also, they, they, they had a tinge, or at least to and, us. Yeah,
1: and that, that's why I think there's 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 a bigger conversation that can come out of a lot of these issues that are on the periphery about... What What's happening in America and our understanding of, of of our ethnic differences and our collective history and, you know, drawing the different parallels that will come out of every single candidate that's running right now, whether it's right. Bernie Sanders running as a Jewish person or Kamala Harris running as an African-American woman, every one of them, especially in this environment, will experience a special kind of attack. That will be racial in tone, or will be ethnic in tone, and maybe there is an opportunity for us to have a greater sensitivity and, and a learning. Like the, the 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 silver lining for me on most things Trump does is that it's a teachable moment, right? He is the anti-example you in know, many ways, it, it, and every time he does something especially stupid or or outrageous, I don't know. I think, think say, a lot of it is like of the norm. No, because we say don't so, be like that,
6: but then there's this counter of. Yeah, but maybe we are like that.
1: Well, I, I like when to, Bernie You're Sanders great, you're runs, great, you're great you know? about you're great about the better selves and about appealing to our better angels. And I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up your ass, but you have been an advocate, especially on issues like the border that I think much of the media has forgotten, an issue that's essential to people who live in the border and in many parts of the country, an essential issue that's happening in America that often gets pushed aside. You have been talking about what you call the brown menace, right? And how Trump has framed this in that context. So I think it's important to recognize that. But maybe coming back to where you come from and who you are, I ask every guest another question that I want to bring the light forward and I want to bring light to all the heat, right? Cause there's too much heat in this country. And I think you're a guy who does bring light and I want to be a guy who does the same. And I ask anybody who listened to me the same, Chris Cuomo, what makes you happy? My kids,
6: healthy kids. Um, the first part of the prayer is thank you for, uh, making my, you know, prayers for Catholics are always help me, help me, help me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, thank you for making my kids healthy and happy. My wife, my wife's battling Lyme disease right now. um, and Epstein Barr, uh, she's, she's fighting all this stuff and she's doing it well. So when she, they're healthy and happy, life is right. I'm able to take care of them uh, to the extent that I can. Life is right, makes me happy. Um, uh, no, no, doesn't make me happy. I, I'm good with happiness. I like happy, I'm happy for people to seek happy, um, but I'm about fulfillment mm. and, it is, and it's a different thing. Uh, for me because it's about the satisfaction of a sense of purpose uh, for me and you know like pizza makes me freaking happy but I mean it doesn't I'm not fulfilled the my it's okay kids, you can
1: stay with happy the, yeah, you can you stay know. with just pizza so making am with happy
6: I just see happy as surfacial I see it as ephemeral yeah. and but with all the
1: respect this is it's my turn to ask the questions so I, I got to press you and I want to know what's happy I really do because, when I turn the key because, and the boat starts and all of all the levels and the numbers are right I'm happy. See that's a, that's a moment of purity, that moment you know, of satisfaction, when the raptor, that moment Doesn't of stink happiness. Like right?
6: ass, I'm happy. When my dog hasn't put a hole in the yard that I got to fix, <laughs> I'm happy. When my son has honored his commitment to do poop patrol, I'm happy. When I see that his books on his desk are open and not fake open with fake pages turned over, I'm happy, you know? Uh, when I come in and my pool is not 110 degrees, I'm happy.
1: <laughs> These are the things that, you know, especially in times like this and in a summer like this, I think we all need little moments of, of happiness and little moments of When I can get to a lift. deep
6: squat, I'm very happy. All right, so I, I, very was, happy. I was debating
1: whether or not to go here with you, but we got to talk rare. about it because you and I have talked about a little bit about working out. on well, your you've birthday, lost a lot of weight. I lost 32 pounds. Yeah. I mean and I, mean, I got freaking serious, but I was also fat and I was out of control. And I really bunkered down that. and got serious. No, I'll say it. I never I, I was I never wondering why everybody didn't tell can, me I was fat for because so you long. can pull their head well, off like a bottle fat. Nah, I mean I've been I've been <laughs> as big as two hundred when I played football, I was as big as two hundred and eighty-three yeah, pounds. That's why they don't say and anything. I, and when to I was you. in the army, I got down to like two oh three. So that's I've wh- swung in many directions. They don't say anything. But on your birthday, if people look at your Instagram, there's a picture of you with some pretty sizable biceps. Yeah, a little bit of it. I think it's and, probably And uh, fitness is something that, that you and I have talked about offline. It makes you happy. But what's your what's your routine, man? How do you stay fit in an environment like this where you're working so hard and you got your family? Tip, Tips for people who want to stay in shape and kind of keep that part of their Variety life. Variety
6: is the spice of life. Biggest mistake you can make uh, with exercise is routine. Um, you know, we all know the story of the person we see in the gym on the treadmill. They're doing an hour and 15 minutes on the treadmill. They're fat. Why? It's about muscle confusion uh, and diet, obviously. Um, so, diet is that's what I changed radically. Especially as you get older.
1: Now, that's it. Once I hit 40, I could work out till I was blue in the face. What I really learned in this time is that if I got my calories down below yeah. 2,000, which is hard, hard as hell. For to, big it's boys. harder than working out. It's hard for big boys. The discipline that's required to get your diet at a level to actually achieve a calorie uh, deficit where you're losing weight is much harder, yeah. I think, for me and for most people than working Intermittent fasting
6: is really good with that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I lost that. So I go in the wintertime,
6: I'm like 225. And in the summertime, I try to get to 205. Um, now I've like split. The, I'm like walking around like Do you weigh more than me right now? Um, right now, I'm like 215.
1: So today, I'm 222.
6: So No. No. Would be the easy answer. Okay. Um, but at some point in the winter, I'll be heavier than you are right now. But I train heavy in the winter. Um, I lift weight. I'm not as, you know, vain uh, about how I'm going to look because I'm obviously all covered up. But uh, then I try. I also like the ascesis. I like the self-discipline of it, of trying to lose that weight, right. trying to lean out. It's hard. Intermittent it fasting helps. But I do a lot of different things. The, the, the new piece is no more jujitsu, no more martial arts. Um, I do self-defense. And not because I'm worried. I love it because I'm terrible at it. All my instincts are wrong. I let people come way too close. I want everybody to hit me first. We saw that. Yeah. You know what I'm <laughs>
1: yeah. Saying? yeah. Yeah. But I won't. That's what, that's what the self defense training in me was thinking. Yeah. So it was like you know people should not be that close to you.
6: I, I let people right up on me. I let them get close. My instinct is to is to grab. Um, you know, and any self defense guy will be like, you know, Tony Blauer is great. Um, he has the spear system and he uses the flinch reflex and how to step into somebody and all the stuff that, you know, you learn second nature in combat training, but I love it because I'm bad at it. And it's such a great uh, mind fuck for me, you know, in terms of like, what would you do? How would you do it? What choice would you make? Um, And tapping into something in yourself that I am not comfortable with. I don't like the idea of what would I do to somebody in order to save myself? I don't like it. Um, So, I, I love the training of it. And it gets a little withering because I'm always getting beaten up. I'm always. Yeah, I mean, losing. the
1: jujitsu and, and, and. Jiujitsu and, and, and is much easier. Jujitsu, yeah, but a lot of it is just tough on the joints. And the, the yes. concussions on, on the body, the strikes are tough. And, right. and the joints are just fragile when you get older. Right. So I back It's a lot harder to roll that. around when you're 50 than when you're 20.
6: Yeah. So I stopped the rolling around because I don't have the flexibility anymore to roll around with guys my size. Yeah. Um, they're too strong. Uh, they're too flexible, especially over time. My battery, even though like your power curve is pretty steep in, in its diminution and your um, your uh, endurance curve is pretty flat, um, the, it hasn't manifested itself for me. I get tired fast. You know, like I have like 30 seconds of go and then I'm vulnerable.
1: So we we said this on the radio show. We're at the car club. They do a charity event here for cops and firefighters around St. Patty's Day, where they have the cops versus the firefighters. Can we maybe put together a charity event where it's me and you versus Hannity and Tucker?
6: Yeah, as, long as you're, if you're on my you think, team. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't, yeah. Sean's too and smart they, to get involved with that because <laughs> once he's once he does a little research on you, he'd be like, no, 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 thanks. I want to pick my own guy, and it ain't going to be yeah. Tucker. He would find like some
1: seal to come in who's probably probably duty would and wrap Dan Bajino or one of these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 One, he's called he's calling in somebody else yeah yeah
6: somebody who would like come at me because you're supposed to go with the weak guy so you're Mm -hmm. gonna wind up okay no one's gonna come (laughs) at you they're gonna all come at
1: me (laughs) i'm too old man i want i want to graduate to be in just the promoter and the manager at this point but i gotta i'll tell you what i'd like to do with those
6: guys i don't see them as opposites you know tucker i got issues with what he does i think it's cheap um hannity believes what he believes uh of course you can criticize what he says and he could do the same um i would love to have something where you see people who are perceived opposites um, showing how much they have in common.
1: Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Like you, you I don't know if you've ever been on his show or he's ever been on yours. No,
6: but if I took you to but dinner with Hannity yeah. one, as soon as he heard that you felt that you were disrespected on his show, yeah. he would kill himself to apologize to okay. you. Well, and I'm telling you, that. I know him personally yeah. Yeah. and none of this is about him being nice. I didn't yeah. need him to be nice to me about yeah, this yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. shit was going to go away one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't hurt anybody. Yeah. I didn't break any rule. I didn't victimize anybody. Um, but I know him and he believes in family. He believes in the country. He takes care of his friends. He's generous AF with people around him. Um, And he's a huge fight guy. Um, you yeah. know, so we'll, put, we'll, put, we'll, put, that, we'll put that
1: in the parking lot and we'll come back and have a fishing trip with me and you and Tucker and Sean Hannity and whoever else we can get Sonny or some of your other buddies to come and, and, I don't and see join us. A
6: fisherman. Don't you see him like up in no, Maine? But that's why, like I a, a that's why I want to see him. That's why I want to see people in an environment watches. that's uncomfortable for them. do you see him like comparing watches with somebody? Like that's his thing. I, don't know, the, I don't know what that dude does. Flax I and what, locks. But I do,
1: I do have to be respectful of your time. I have to let you get over to CNN to roll around on TV with, people but before i do that we have the tradition of the giving of the gifts and i'm going way back here because if, pe- if people are, are listening if you've never seen the video we will post video on angry we have clips wow. lots of good stuff now my son is pissed because i gave you a bag that he just it was his birthday this weekend and i thought that bag was great for you it's a tyrannosaurus rex and it says hooray on the outside are you re-gifting? because i just No, I'm only regifting the bag because bags are great. And I think that, you know, hooray, hooray for Cuomo. Cuomo's here. You're finally here. I've been trying to get you on the show for months. Do you want me to tell you what's in the bag? I know know what's in the bag, but you can tell the audience what's in the bag. There's three things in the bag. Hold on a minute, because I know you haven't actually listened to my show. So first off, you have to choose between three colors of peeps. I would rather you punch me in the face than choose among these peeps. Purple? I'm sorry. Pink, yellow, or blue? Which color peeps does Chris Cuomo choose and why? Aren't they all the same flavor? They are potentially the same flavor, but this is Well, blue an insight.
6: is my favorite color. There but I would go. choose the pink because well, you have
1: to pick one of the other one. Well, you can't pick both.
6: Well, I would pick the pink. Okay, because why? Because the uh, my daughter will eat these, and she loves pink. There you go. Okay, good
1: answer. All right, next we got some swag for you. Oh, uh, angry American swag. Oh, this m- I like. Made in the USA. Since your favorite color is blue, we have blue for you. Very people cool. can buy these online, angryamericans.us. Made by Oscar Mike, very the good. veterans, and you can wear that next time you're fishing.
6: Oh, you're the wait, You're the one who told me about the uh, clothing company. Yeah, you were, you and were very good for about pr- supporting
1: JCRT when they did the camouflage collection. You gave me people two should two go. Sizes. About,
6: That's nice of you.
1: I didn't know summer what you wanted. You know, and, and winter. Yeah, guns out, suns out, suns out, guns out. I didn't uh-huh. know if you wanted. I was going to go with a small. But instead, I just went with an extra large and a yeah, large. I usually wear a medium. You know,
6: that's not true. <laughs> Everything I wear is XL. I is guarantee really? you I'm telling you, you're bigger XL. than me now. No, it's you're not true. I'm okay. not bigger than you. And me.
1: last, we have uh, something for you to enjoy <laughs> when you're on the boat or whatever you're doing. What Here, kind let of? Let me help you. I may re-gift this. Don't re-gift it. It's a dick thing to do. <laughs> I re-gift. My
6: mother's terrible with that. Yeah? Yeah. She, right. gives, so she gives you stuff more than once.
1: We pick, uh, I go to the liquor oh. store and I pick something that speaks to me. And I thought for you, this—it's always an American whiskey. I wanted to get you something that was just really good, nothing. And it's Campfire from High West. I love it. And I think you need to—you know—when you're sitting around a campfire and uh, you know celebrating life or the 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 boat starting, you got some Campfire High West, made in America, like Chris Cuomo. And uh, I just want to end by thanking you. I mean this—I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You're a good man, and you're a patriot and you're bringing a lot of positivity to this country and people see the shit on tv they don't see the shit that's off tv and the people who are around you and know you have seen your commitment to friendship and family and country and and i appreciate you and you've been very generous to me and you're doing this show at a time when you got a lot going on in the world and uh, i'm just very very grateful for you man you are a good friend
6: you are a good man Uh, i appreciate the gifts Thank you very much, and I appreciate the
1: opportunity. You're doing great. Do we have to end with let's get after it? Always. Let's Let's get get after after it. it. There There it is. There it is. Okay. Have you ever worn a dress shirt? Yeah, we all have. We all have to do it. I have to do it. Cuomo has to do it nightly. And we've all subconsciously felt like it reminds us of a straitjacket. Nothing fun about it. Very little upside. Yet we wear them, and we wonder why nobody's making them better. Well, just like Chris Cuomo on Nightly CNN, I have good news. Someone has made them better, and that someone is Mizzen and Maine. You've listened to this show before you know the deal. Mizzen and Maine makes dress shirts for men that are actually comfortable. You heard that right. Dress shirts that are actually comfortable. How? Why? Well, it's their fabrics, their performance fabrics. That means they're like athletic fabrics. They stretch and move with you all day long. Think about Cuomo. He's moving around. He's fishing. Mizzen and Maine, exactly the kind of shirt that you need if you want to be like Cuomo. Here's the other thing. It's still the summer. The sun is beating down on you. Maybe you're out on your fishing boat and the sweltering gaze of the heat is slowly trying to weed out the week. And if you're in a normal cotton dress shirt, you're like a sponge. You soak up all that crap and it takes forever to dry. It's gross. We've all been there. Not so with Mizzen and Maine. Their performance fabrics dry quickly, wicking away the moisture, so you never have to worry about looking like a mess. It's too hot for cotton. Maybe you've been wearing short-sleeved shirts all summer. Maybe you haven't had to put a dress shirt on. You're going to have to do it at some point this fall, so check out Mizzen in Maine. They donate lots of shirts to veterans. They have totally changed the game. NFL superstar J.J. Watt wears them. So does golfing legend Phil Mickelson. So do I. And they are a sponsor of this podcast. That's because like this podcast, like Chris Cuomo, like this show, Mizzen and Maine performs. And the company is headquartered in Texas where they've got two stores. Very proud to have them as a founding sponsor of this show and hope to get down to Texas to see you all soon. They're wrinkle resistant, making them perfect for travel, comfortable on the plane or in your car or on a horse. And you can pull them out of your bag with nothing to worry about. These shirts are easy, folks. They work. They're comfortable. You can wash them at home without paying the dry cleaner. Maybe we can get Don Lemon to wear one, too. Head over to Miz and Maine's website at www.comfortable.af. That's right, foxtrot. That's really their website. Or you can go to mizandinmaine.com. Use the code Americans. You can spell it at checkout to receive 10 bucks off a dress shirt now. You can plan ahead for... The fall, you can plan ahead for Christmas. You can plan ahead for Father's Day. Women, check them out as well. These shirts are great for everybody. Mizzen and Maine. it's never felt better to look your best.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: All right, it's time to turn that anger, inspiration, sadness, agony, frustration, generosity, all that into positive impact. It's time to be a helper.
2: You know, my mother used to say a long time ago whenever there would be any really cat- catastrophe that was on the, in the movies or, or on the air, she would say, always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines that's why i think that if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams of of showing who uh, medical people a- anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy to be to be sure that they include that because if you look for the helpers you'll know that there's hope
1: every show I offer a way of converting your righteous and understandable anger into positive action, a positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans, an action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and does some good. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes of integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. In this episode, you can again be a helper. You can own the tone in America. You can own the tone. And you can follow the leadership example of John McCain, On the anniversary of his passing. And your homework this week comes from his wife, Sidney McCain.
3: In the coming weeks, our family will celebrate the life of my husband, John McCain. It's been a year since John passed away. Like many of you, I miss his voice of reason and commitment to civility that has been sadly absent from our national dialogue. John taught us by example to commit to causes larger than ourselves and to join together across the aisle or whatever divides us to make our world a better place. So I know John would want to mark this anniversary by doing something that adds to the common good. As a family, when we mark his passing and his birthday, we are going to perform some acts of civility. Please take some time that week to re-engage with someone whom you disagree or commit to work together with someone who has had a different perspective than you and find common ground. Then post to your social media channels about your act of civility using hashtag acts of civility. By taking this simple step, we join together and can help inspire a renewal of civil engagement that is critical for us to meet the challenges of the future. Thank you for honoring John in this way.
1: That's it. It's simple. It's important. And it's impactful. Hashtag acts of civility. You can help. You can be a helper and you can own the tone. If you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag angry Americans and give me a holler. Don't just be angry. Be active. This has been a big episode and big thanks to a few big folks who helped make this big episode happen. Chris Cuomo. He is a patriot. He is a gentleman. He is a friend. And he is a very important and inspiring American. I want to thank him for sitting down with us and sharing so much of himself and for all his support for me, for this podcast, and for Righteous Media. I appreciate you, Chris. in Maine our founding sponsor of this show. I've told you all about them. Awesome people, awesome products. Again, if you're in Miami, go check out their new store. They also have stores in Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas, which must be hot as hell right now, and Oklahoma City. Check them out if you live there, or go online from the comfort of your air conditioning at MizzeninMaine.com. Big thanks to creative Chris Rosenthal, who creates all our amazing graphics and design elements. Mighty Mercy Rich, who makes the machine happen at Righteous Media. And excellent Eric Schaumborn, who sprinkles his creative magic on everything. Uh, the whole Rockstar team at Righteous Media is doing incredible work, and I'm grateful for all of you guys. Roy Velchek, he shot our video with Chris Cuomo this week at the Car Club. Big thanks to you, sir. And Bill Schultz, our incredible producer, He's been riding hard with us all summer and cranking out incredible shows. Thank you, Bill, for your audio magic. Oscar Mike and our friends over there in Chicago who do our merchandise, thank you to those guys. Uh, Check out all the new designs at angryamericans.us. We got multiple colors, including the super cool blue one that I gave Cuomo at the Car Club. Check it out. Makes a great gift and a perfect gift for the fall coming up. Big thanks to the Classic Car Club Manhattan, as always, especially Phil. Jeanette, Heather, Phelan, and the whole crew over there. Thanks to the team at Starfish Media, especially Soledad O'Brien and Patrick Conway for the recording studio help. And it's time for Thank a Listener. Every week, I thank a few angry Americans for listening. I love you all, but I want to shout out a couple folks specifically this week. Just a couple. First, Koshin Jim Colley, parts unknown. I don't know where you're from, Koshin. And Koshin tweets at, at Koshin Jim Collie. Koshin is out there all the time, tweeting up a storm, sending lots of support, owning the tone, sending lots of positivity. Koshin's bio says, we all do better when we all do better. And that's perfect for this. And Koshin had tweeted, digging this episode, good on you for providing a platform for homeless people. Talking about last week's episode. Go back and check that out if you haven't. Koshin is a helper. And so is my second and final thank you of this episode. And it's a doozy. Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. Thank you, Danny Trejo. He's in Los Angeles, California, of course, but Machete himself. He tweets at official Danny T. And if you don't know, this is what his bio says. Danny reads his tweets and responds as he can. He loves and appreciates all his amazing fans. And we all know Machete don't text. But he did respond. After our show last week and our segment on his amazing heroic baby saving, he reached out on Twitter and liked our tweet. So... We have now arrived. We officially have the ultimate badass on our side. Danny Trejo, official Danny T, likes us. All of the podcasts can pound sand. Please join us on the pod anytime, sir, and keep saving babies. We're thankful for you. And as always, speaking of babies, thanks to my family, my amazing wife, and my two boys. Uh, the little baby is five months old now his teeth are coming in and he is awesome Not getting a lot of sleep, but we're having a lot of smiles and okay I told you that I tell you what we were going to do for my son's fourth birthday afterwards Got two words for you medieval times Yeah We did the whole damn thing the glowing swords the paper crowns the eating giant pieces of chicken with our hands Like andrew yang did with turkey legs at the iowa state fair. Yep medieval times it was It was weird. It was weird. And Ryder didn't totally dig it. And he puked in the car on the way out there. And our night was less than amazing. But we were together. And it was awesome. And his birthday celebration cannot be limited to only one day. So the next day, we went to another incredible and uniquely American place. With another two words, Coney Island. Coney Island, which was amazing. If you've never been to Coney Island in the summer, you should put it on your bucket list. It is a true American treasure. Some of the best people watching on the entire planet, for real. And it's maybe the single most diverse place I've ever seen on this entire planet. And one of the most fun. And two final words that made it all awesome. Bumper cars. Yeah, bumper cars. So happy birthday again, buddy. I love you. My thanks to you and the whole fam. And my deepest thanks to you for tuning in. You guys have been great telling your friends to check this podcast out. And if you're on an Apple device, you know the deal. Show your love and share a quick review. Uh, If you're not on an Apple device, you can go to angryamericans.us. You can also find all the video there where we've got behind-the-scenes video from the car club. Uh, So check out angryamericans.us. If you're new to the show or maybe you're headed on vacation, you need some good shit for your driving time, Go back and check out the past episodes. We got some good ones. And we have videos of almost every interview. And we have the episode with Sarah Jessica Parker. If you haven't heard it, you're missing out. Sarah Jessica Parker talking about where she grew up. I interviewed her from the floor of her living room in her apartment. And I just love that one. And I've heard from many of you that you do as well. So if you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. And definitely, please keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you. Next week, we'll be back with a fresh new show, another important, inspiring, and iconic American, and another one you're not going to want to miss. And I keep telling you, football season's coming, so get ready for more of that. Stay tuned, subscribe, and share, and we'll keep this movement growing every single week. And remember, it's okay to be angry, and know you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact, and we can own the tone. I'm your host. Paul Rykoff, thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America, and stay positive. It's still summer.